0: We've been waiting, but it's finally here. Punk Rock Month, Marcus. We waited 12 whole months for Punk Rock Month to come back. To kick it off, we thought we'd dig in for one of our favorite episodes from the last year. And it's the first of four episodes presented all together with the Punk Rock fan in mind. Let's say that. And Punk Rock Month is sponsored by... Boldfoot Socks. Check them out at boldfoot.com. Save 15% on your first order by entering the code HISTORY15. Also, brought to you by Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro, pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. And in the spirit of Punk Rock
1: Month, we are going to Started all off with a venue that was huge in the whole punk rock scene in New York City. And I'm talking about Hilly Crystal's legendary CBGBs.
0: So step into the pit and slam. It's Punk Rock Month on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Marcus tell us what is this episode all about
1: it's about a scene that burgeoned when I was nothing but a wee little lad so I didn't really get to experience it in the way that I would have absolutely loved to had I been that age I would have been in the heart of that without a doubt but sadly a little
0: too young What Marcus hasn't said is that we're talking about that little place at 315 Bowery in the Lower East Side where magic happened, where history happened, and he's not talking about a unique individual indeed who helped to give birth to a music scene that both of us love so much. This is the birthplace of punk. We're talking about CBGB, the um umphug, right?
1: the umfug, indeed it's also where the new wave scene really blossomed it's where post-punk blossomed it's where we saw punk roll into hardcore we saw so much happen here and even the pre-punk stuff really blossomed and so many great musicians that became either household names down the line in some form or another or became influencers of later household names got a start at this place because hilly always gave them a chance
0: well the place that became cbgb which stands for country bluegrass blues and the omfug part means other music for uplifting gourmandizers (laughs) when it comes to music are you a gourmandizer marcus I am a gourmandizer,
1: but the original definition of gourmand is <laughs> one who loves food, and yes. Hilly changed it for to, music for right? music because of his love of music.
0: I'll just say that later in the story, I intersect with Hilly uh, in regards to booking bands and stuff like that, and. It, he was one of the most unique individuals I've ever encountered anywhere in music and behind it, a heart of gold that wanted to make stuff happen or let stuff happen is even maybe more of a, an appropriate way to put it. And it happened right there at Hilly's place. I don't know where they got the name from, but I just have this picture in my mind, Marcus, of him sitting there with the bar closed with Hilly's on the door and <laughs> just thinking, what can we do? What are we going to do now? And out of that, out of that void, so to speak, he starts having uh, original music nights, right?
1: Yeah. And people started uh, showing up and playing and a lot of bands and musicians were taking the stage there because he would book people that nobody else in town would book he gave everybody a shot almost he really did almost
0: well there are these two guys bill page and rusty mckenna who helped him to find and book bands initially that's where the streams start to cross because squeeze has a guy named mark swall in it who would later be in a band called the Revelons who became like the house band. And that would include Fred Smith, who would be in television, and J.D. Doherty, who would be in Patty Smith's group. This is where people start coming out of the woodwork right away and start to help laying the foundation.
1: One of the things that struck me in what you just said is that we've talked about other scenes in Seattle and in L.A., And Detroit and how they've burgeoned and how so many bands or musicians' paths intersected or crossed paths or they played with this little band and that little band together and then they split up and then they met that band and then they formed that band and then this band and then that band and this chemistry was better with these people so they jumped over here and then all of a sudden... You have all of these bands that people start knowing about that are making noise and coming together out of all all these crazy, crazy mixtures.
0: Well, before you tell that story that you're dying to tell about television, who were one of the first bands to have regular gigs there Mm -hmm. uh, at CBGB, something else happened. And it was right around the time that they were starting. Uh, There's a place called the Mercer Art Center that I don't know anything about, but a lot of the original bands who were in that scene uh, came over, and that included Wayne County.
2: This song, this is why you jerk off in the audience. Oh, look at the wankers. This is
1: called You Make Me Cream In My Gym.
0: And uh, Ruby and the Rednecks who I don't know much about, the Fast and Suicide. And so they infused their energy and their people, I suppose, uh, into what was going on there on Ballery. I you And then comes that night you're all excited about because it changed so much in 1974. That night was quite magical
1: indeed. April 14th, it was television's third gig. And one of the things that helped them get their residency was they were the band who built the stage at CBGB's and yep, yeah, in the audience that night, Patti Smith and Lenny Kaye debuted in February of 1975 and then she went on to like a 7 week residency in 75 as well. Let it hotel. Also in the audience, Dennis Lepre. The Stilettos, which was Debbie Harry's band, which then became Angel and the Snake, and then Blondie, also the Ramones. A magical night that changed the tide of CBGBs and changed, I think, the direction.
0: It infused so much energy and crossed all those streams. People were meeting and connecting so that the next time when they saw each other, when they were sharing a stage there, It was all community and familial. So when the next wave comes in, like Mink DeVille, I still have one of his records somewhere. My faves and yours, the Talking Heads come in. Going down to CBGB's,
2: that night when I found the Talking Heads, I was down there to see the Ramones, who I had just signed. It was a beautiful night in November. It was almost like spring. And I was standing out there with Lenny Kay, the guitar player in the Patti Smith group. And all of a sudden I hear music coming I can't sing the up. I am nervous and I can't relax. I felt myself just moving more and more till I was inside the door and I was riveted.
0: Psycho killer, The shirts and the heartbreakers, not the ones from Gainesville, Florida, (laughs) Uh, other bands also are coming in. And then we mentioned this, uh, when we were talking about this on the ramp up, Uh, The first band to come over from England and play at CBGB, The Damned, who you love.
1: Great punk band. Such a great punk band. And even one of the bands that was a precursor to the British goth scene that bred Susie and the Banshees. And the fact that they, and not the Sex Pistols, were the first punk band to come over and play CBGBs was quite a feat. And It really, really did wonders for Hilly and CBGB's at that time.
0: It was so hot there that it was spawning a scene and it created the need for other places. And other clubs started putting uh, nights out for original uh, music there. And a lot of them were from New York. So a lot of this was going on uh, under the glow, if you want to call that, of New York at one of its worst periods. Uh, The streets were rough and tumble and just like the city, and there was a lot going on that made it a perfect backdrop for a punk rock revolution, for uh, a birthing, if you will, right there, and um, that's kind of what happened. You have to fast forward down the line, and I don't like to think of all the, the particulars, but I think about today and what is there at what all of us or most of us consider to be a sacred rock and roll site at 315 bowery right no knock on them and certainly don't want anybody to you know dog them but fashion designer john barbados opened a store there and it's um, amazing first off that they ever got the fucking smell out of the place because as you know uh the smell is legendary it is And all I'm going to say is the first thing you think when you walk through the door at CBGB in those days, after like, oh my God, I'm here, and you walk about 20, 30 feet and you get back towards the stage and you go, the smell, what the fuck is that? And all I can tell you is there's only one other bathroom I've ever been in in a club that was anywhere near as vile as the stench that emanated from the men and the ladies. Uh, uh, there in the back, and the pictures of that are on their website. In fact, there's a 360 tour on their website that I want to talk more about. <laughs> in some ways, John Marvedos, uh the uh, the designer, you know, the clothes designer. Uh, really did something good there because he preserved that building in that space. you know you, you, it was a a, a a dirty nightclub underneath a flop house. Hilly always said that's how he got the rent so low. In the end, I guess the way it went was the rent progressed and he didn't keep up and he had a big arrears and went to court and lost. so he had to close and he had to move. And a year or so later, uh, Hilly Crystal passes away, and some say it was a broken heart because this place was his lifeblood, and it's nothing bad again about the people who occupy that space now. They may have preserved it for posterity. I want to read you a quote here that is perfect for summing it all up, all right? In 1974, it was clear, maybe Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not New York's. The city was falling into some sort of adrenalized comic book dystopia. Andy Warhol's factory had stepped one toke over the line, and the prelapsarian dream that blossomed from the flowerbed of the 60s was now a ruinous relic like a long-forgotten civilization that the History Channel will say was built by aliens and abandoned centuries from now. (laughs) That is so great. Thanks to Far Out Magazine in the UK for that one. Uh, I saw that and I went, oh, my God, this is like the best tongue-in-cheek quote. And how British of them.
1: That is so British. But that time in New York City, New York was pretty beat up and pretty gnarly. This is Eyewitness News with Larry Kane and the Eyewitness News team thursday july 14 1977. good evening i'm larry kane our big story on eyewitness news is the live picture you see directly behind me suddenly light and brightness out of a 24-hour darkness the bright patchwork of the second night of
0: the great new york energy crisis of nineteen
1: seventy-seven. gerald ford had completely abandoned new york city as president of the united states there was a lot of crime. If you want to see or get a feel for what it was like, check out the old movie Ford Apache at the Bronx or the movie's Warriors.
2: Oh, you got a cigarette, yeah. why don't you just drop the bastard? Yeah. Oh, yeah, right.
0: Shoot a person at you, they crucified him. So you say he pulled a knife and we'd back you up? That's all you got to do, man.
1: You're laying on him. Those are two movies that will give you a feel for what New York was like at that time in the mid-70s and early 70s as CBGBs was gaining steam. And I've read multiple interviews over the years with members of the Ramones and Blondie and the Talking Heads. And they all talk about the Bowery area being beat up and run down and New York City being really run down. And rent was really affordable then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that made it possible for a lot of people to move there, live there, stay there. Mm-hmm. And it didn't last forever. But if you got to go in and, and, and be there, you owe something to Hilly. If you saw a show, mm-hmm. if you had a cool experience there or two, um, you owe it to Hilly. If you took the stage there, you owe it to Hilly. Holy shit, yeah. One of the things I discovered uh, while uh, getting ready for this episode was the appearance by The Runaways uh, playing at CBGB's on August 2nd, 1976, and that's before I was going there and before I really uh, got into The Runaways. I knew who they were, but I didn't really know them, you know, and that's just one of those things And I thought, man, must have been a hot place for them to play. And if you're somebody who's listening to this podcast and you were at that show, please uh, reach out to us at imbalancehistory at gmail.com. It's an encore presentation of our episode about CBGBs on Punk Rock Month.
1: Punk Rock Month is sponsored by Crooked Eye Beer and Boldfoot Socks. We'll be right back.
0: Hey folks, if you haven't checked out Boldfoot Socks yet, go to their website and do it today, boldfoot.com. And if you like what you see and you want to place an order, you can save 15% on us by entering the code HISTORY15 in the discount box. Now, Marcus, you have had some great personal experience wearing your Boldfoot Socks.
1: That is correct, Ray. I am an active cyclist. After hearing Josh tell us about his experience running a race in the desert in his boldfoot socks. I had to give it a try on the bike, and they held really well. My feet didn't feel funky afterward, and after my spin class, my feet felt great, not all wet and yucky.
0: Wet and yucky, bad. Feeling bold? Good. (laughs) Go to boldfoot.com and check out all the styles and they've got a wide variety of styles no matter what your mood is about your socks and uh, colors, designs. It all fits into what you want out of a sock that holds up and they definitely give you that support you need. I know from the times I've worn mine. Make sure
1: you go to boldfoot.com and use the code HISTORY15 to get 15% off of your first order.
0: Look, your feet. Be bold. When you get thirsty, you need a beverage that you can count on, a beverage that will satisfy that thirst. And if you're a beer lover like me, and I know you are too, Marcus, nothing tops the fresh brews at Crooked Eye
1: Brewery. They make the brews right there. You can actually look in the window of the brew room and see the brew being made.
0: And a lot of other things are happening uh, on weeknights, various things, including Thursday trivia, uh, the Wednesday blues jam. They also have open mic night the first, third,
1: and fifth Mondays of every month, if you get that first lucky Thursday. fifth Monday. I can't
0: do math when I'm a crooked eye. Not if I have, like, <laughs> one crooked IPA, I can tell you that. An open mic like Mondays now alternates with Name That Song. Ray, I hear
1: Vinyl Night's coming back to Crooked Eye.
0: That's right. First Tuesday of the month starting April 5th. I'll be back at Crooked Eye for Vinyl Night. Come on out and hang with us. And Marcus, they've announced a special concert at Crooked Eye May 15th. The great Philly legend, Charlie Gracie.
1: Make sure you come spend a special Sunday afternoon with this Philly legend from 1 to 5 p.m. at Crooked Eye.
0: Always something fun going on there. We're talking about Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro.
1: And of course in Delco at Jamie's House of Music.
0: and the cure for what ails you in hampro since 2014 we'll see you at crooked eye
2: hey pantheon listeners christian swain here you caught me just finishing up some editing on getting real with john and beth i want to share my first experience with factor meals for you i think you'll find this interesting because i bet the same thing happens to you And use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's Factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off.
0: We're back on The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. We are parked right on the stage at CBGB. So we must be at least, what, 20 years ago. It's kind of quiet today. And uh, one of the things that you notice if you look around on the stage at CBGB's is all the markings. The bands who've written their logo or their name or just signed all over the place, on left permanent, you know, marks all through the stage, the backstage, into the band's dressing rooms, if you want to call them that. <laughs> and it it was it's trademark again on display on their website and we'll put a, a link up on the blog we're going to do for this episode mm-hmm. it's a, like a 360 view of of looking around at CBGB's and I'll just say one thing as somebody who was there probably 15 times, 20 times through the years, Marcus, that place was never so fucking clean as it is in those pictures, and not to mention the bathrooms. <laughs> uh, like I said earlier, man, the stench in the men's and the ladies was so bad. The only other place before they fixed it, the Khyber Pass in Philly was just as bad or almost as bad, But and I don't know that it was done on purpose, it's just what happens with the plumbing there, and I guess nobody ever fixed it or whatever. But the guy who got this whole thing going opened he kind of created a an environment where music and original music could take hold he thought he was opening up a country and bluegrass bar and that was the kind of music that the gormandizers like him were into so he he started there But what quickly happened is that low rent district, everybody moving in, musicians, people, art students, everybody coming together and being within, you know, gigging distance of his little place there. And he was a New Yorker through and through. Hillel Crystal was born in New York City, but didn't stay there for long. When he was small, they moved to New Jersey. The family did.
1: His father, a Russian immigrant, was a pogrom survivor, which means he came to the United States during the Fiddler in the Roof era of of Russian Jews fleeing Russia. And just so you know, a pogrom is defined as an organized massacre of a particular ethnic group. Most (sighs) well-known pogrom in history is Kristallnacht in Nazi Germany in 1938. He was able to get to America... Have a family, and they started as immigrants, dirt, ass, poor, and worked their way up and eventually moved to New Jersey, like you said. And Hilly always loved music, eventually attended a school here in Philadelphia.
0: Yeah, the Settlement School, top shelf.
1: Which was founded by two women, Jeanette Selig Frank and Blanche Wolf
0: Cohn, in 1908. You know, but he ended up, oddly, back in New York. Even though he didn't spend much time there after birth, he ends up there and becomes a manager, booking guy, for the Village Vanguard, a premier jazz club in Greenwich Village. And that's where he booked all kinds of people, including Miles Davis, legendarily, and their paths crossed a few times, including the music festival that he was part of in uh, Central Park for a few years. So, I mean, he really had embraced the music business and scene in New York, prior to opening Hillies, and certainly prior to opening CBGB.
1: Yes, one of his big strengths was being able to book bands. You mentioned Miles Davis. I'm sure he booked many other legendary jazz greats. He booked Zeppelin and The Doors and other bands mm-hmm. in the East Coast <laughs> and clubs. So this guy knew exactly what he was doing. He knew how to do it, and he was really good at it. And it's obvious that the bands really liked him and really trusted him. Yes and he he didn't have that snake oil salesman vibe that you see from a oh, lot of people in all. a lot of industries like this. If
0: you got him on the phone, Marcus, he would talk to you, he'd get the book right out. Oh yeah, I remember your band. He booked the band I managed called Bootleg. Uh and by the way, their bass player Tim Hogan now plays with John Waitsband. So he'd go through the book, oh, I could put your boys in there, and he'd give you a date and a time, tell you what time. And right then he'd tell you when to load in and what you're getting paid, whatever. It was always just enough to cover the and tolls to go to say that you played at CBGB, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the first times I went there. I went there, I think, once before that and then went with my band and then went back, I think, for another gig there. But years later, I would be a regular visitor and always felt that energy. Even though it was years after Talking Heads and, and uh, Patti Smith and Television and Blondie and the Dead Boys and all the Ramones had, hadn't played there in years. And it, you could still feel the energy of the place every time you walked in.
1: Oh, I'm sure that's one of those clubs that has that magic and legendary vibe about it in every single way. I sadly, I was not able to see a show there. Walked by it many times, but never got to see a show there. And I'm
0: heartbroken about that. Well, you shouldn't be. We can only see the things we can get to see. And <laughs> uh, when you were in the neighborhood, there wasn't a show because it was the middle of the day. Although I do remember at least one occasion where I saw music in the afternoon. I had a couple funny situations occur, including the uh, regular McGathy parties would often include uh, a visit to uh, for an event down to uh, CBGB, and you go in see everybody and. Uh, Uh, Of course, the the first thing you always get reacquainted with is the smell. And um, one time I'm there, and I'm sitting there, and Patty Smythe of Scandal, remember her? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was a friend of everybody's because she had been in Philly and had a lot of close associations with people you know and know of. Uh so we kind of knew her, and I knew her a bit through MMR, but she was seeing Johnny McEnroe. And she still is. I think they're still together. all, all these years later. And this was a few years ago. This might have been at the beginning. So they all compiling in, and you know, they compile in every so happy to see Patty and this, and he just kind of sides slides off the side and kind of orders a beer. I walk over, I order a beer, we start talking, sit there and having a rolling rock with John McEnroe. And I just thought it was really cool because he was just such a nice guy, like so counter to what his bad boy, you know, image was. And we just hung out for a little bit and had a beer. And I remember him wearing leather pants and a Knicks jersey. And I can't remember which player it was, but... But I remember that he was a pretty cool guy and I thought, well, maybe this is just his bad boy image for the for the press. And you know, he look, man, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? Yep. You know, he actually enjoyed not being the person that was getting a hundred percent of the attention when the two of them walked in the room together, I think. And that was kind of a cool thing of that night. And I saw so many bands at, at McGathy events. Uh, there over the years when they had their uh, their shows there. And just going to see bands, people I knew. When I was working in New York, I'd go down there if something was happening. And, uh, you know, And when I heard it was closing and why, I was like, oh, it's too late because you knew the number was too big for anybody to really pull together that quickly to save it.
1: Heartbreaking, but in a changing world for a club like this to be able to last as long as it did is pretty incredible. Going back to John McEnroe, do you remember what you talked about out of curiosity? Did you talk about music with a tennis guy? That's really what I want to ask.
0: <laughs> I think he's a music guy who was great at tennis because we talked about music and we talked about sports because he had a Nick shirt on. And I, I gave him the please, no Mets, right, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, where are you from? And then we got into talking about that. And we got talking about Patty a bit. uh But, no, nah, you know, not too much about music. uh Just that, he you know, he liked uh, coming to CBGBs and seeing bands there. And, you know, hey, it's cool. It's just one of those things that happens when you go out in New York. You never know I what's going to happen. Also, I want to talk to you about this movie. It was called CBGB. Country and Blues. In New York City. This club's going to be different.
1: Play some real music. This band is Talking Heads. We're Blondie. We're the Ramones. We're the Dead Boys. Patti Smith Group. Lou Reed. You're a rock star. What does CBGB stand
2: for? Country Bluegrass Blues. We have a band. CBGB gets new customers buying drinks. He get to play for an audience. You've got to spend money to make money. you got to have money to spend money to make money.
0: It seems simple to just name the movie you know, like that. But but that was the name of the place. And that was the name of the movie that was um, produced, not on a big budget, but it was produced uh, with Randall Miller directing. And it was based on The Life of Hilly Crystal, which was a, a book. And it was released in the U.S. in October of 2013 and didn't make much noise until it started getting on cable TV, Marcus. And and the cast is amazing. You've got the late great Alan Rickman as Hilly. So you've got Snipe, and one of the cast of characters is uh, Cheetah Chrome, portrayed by Rupert Grint, who is uh, Ronald Weasley from from the (laughs) Harry Potter movies, too.
1: It was so weird seeing Rupert Grint as Cheetah Chrome because of his Harry Potter roles. I was like, no, no, yes, that's him. Oh, my goodness. And he
0: did a great job. Kid did a great job. I just wonder if there's an outtake of him doing Snape. Mr. Cheetah Crone. What were you doing? One character from one movie talking to the other. It would have been funny. You know, I just think that it was cool to see that. And the other people who were in it, uh, like, uh, uh, Mel and Ackerman was Debbie Harry Mm -hmm. and Freddie Rodriguez. Who's done a lot of work. He was in it as Idaho. One of the main characters there in the club. And uh, Justin Bartha was Stip Bader's who just had a birthday recently. And a bunch of people you know, faces you know now. Johnny Galecki was in it. Taylor Hawkins played Iggy Pop.
1: Hey, all you want to be is that fucking Iggy Pop. Let's play some real fucking music. I want to be your dog. Fuck you, Iggy. That's right. I forgot that he was Iggy Pop in that.
0: So all these cool faces when they were younger and doer, because, you know, it's uh, movies eight years old now. And Rickman did a great job portraying a man that he said he thought really did so much to change the course of music, you know, kind of like give it an opportunity to catch hold
1: even as a kid i knew about cbgb's and trouser press magazine in the late 70s and early 80s was writing about concerts at the at that mm-hmm. venue bands like the plasmatics and the bad brains and the west coast punk bands jumping over there to play in the early 80s and you know bands like the damned coming over and playing and some of the other punk bands playing so I remember reading, you know, all of that in Trouser Press, and every once in a while Rolling Stone, but not nearly as much as an album like Trouser Press, and we didn't get the Village Voice out West.
0: Well, as somebody who was into the music and buying a lot of the records as they were coming out from this whole thing, Marcus, I sure wish I was able to get there and be in the middle of it, to be in the pit when the talking heads were playing one night and be able to talk to Chris about it and say, hey, I remember that night and have shared commonality, you know, uh, of that kind of thing. To have been in that scene, even just for one night, would have been incredible. The music we all have, no matter when we were born. That's a thing. Whenever you were born, you can discover all the factoids in the world and what the feel was for this or that. But the music is really what puts you there. So when you, you get a chance, you put on the music. I, I think there's several really good CBGB playlists on Spotify. Uh, you just go and put it in and plug it in and discover the dead boys who really were way underrated and could have been so much more in the big scheme or picture of things, you know? Mm-hmm. And so many of these bands are my favorites for one reason and your favorites for other reasons. That's the thing about the, the whole punk commonality with you and I is that I was uh, approaching my 20s and into my 20s, and you were becoming a teenager who was full of all kinds of energy mm-hmm. and love and music. So, And that's really <laughs> what it's all about, is love and music.
1: And hormone and changes dog. for a young teenager.
0: <laughs> yes. Everything changes, especially if there's a hot girl like Debbie Harry in the oh, band on the God. poster. Hello. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there was a guy. um, Who David Godless, who captured all of them. You've seen his photos, I'm certain. Uh, His legendary shots mainly are the Ramones, Blondie, television, and the talking heads. Television, one of the most underrated uh, bands of that group, of that era. Uh, Their influence continues today with youngsters. And I mean like kids in their teens hear them and go, oh, let's form a band. (laughs) It still happens. It's one of those records. But uh, the Closters uh, did a, an in-depth study, uh, Louis and Noah Closter, of Godless and his work called Shots in the Dark. I never really thought too much about whether this was a good night to go to CBGB's.
1: It was always a good night to go to CBGB's. <laughs> but I remember about going down there the first time i remember that the bowery was wide open nothing there's nobody on the streets but there's some place doing business over there with an awning in the front that's lit up and I went oh that must be the place
2: and then you know like okay it starts here
0: and it's an interesting find if you can it's on vimeo and i'll post a link to it they talk about meeting godless and uh, what it was like doing the, the the photos for all these amazing things he said this is the guy who took the photo of Alex Chilton that I had on my childhood bedroom wall. He was there. He was at CBGB's in 1976. And now he's standing right in front of me. And I sheepishly said, hi, and, pra- and praised him for his work. He could just picture, right? You know, you meet this guy who was there walking wow. amongst them. And you're just like, oh. And by the way, he said he's uh, one of the nicest guys, most candid, creative, self-deprecating, all that, that he's a really nice guy. And these are the things that go into documenting what went on 40 years ago now, right? I mean, it was still going on 40 years ago before things got too big. And it moved forward to the next batch of bands that would come through there. And there were always bands. There was a New York hardcore scene that came out of there, Agnostic Front, one of the most uh, well-known products of all that. Mm -hmm. But there's always music. There was always music going through all different kinds of stuff and uh, firing up and inspiring people and, and inspiring scenes.
1: Oh, yeah. I've had the pleasure of talking to Vernon Reed a few times over the years. And Vernon Reed has talked to me about being a kid in New York City and sneaking into CBGB's Underage to see some of these bands.
0: It sounds as if it was incredible for them to have been able to be there in the closing weeks as they were getting ready to close before closing night with the Patti Smith group. Their recording from that week, including what they're saying and playing, with open letter to a landlord really got to me. It really spoke to me right in here. They have a couple live recordings from CBGB. I suggest you check them all out. But that one, the closing week version of that with what Corey was saying, was just very touching. Absolutely. You
2: see fucking CBGB circle pit. Someone's going to think water. let
1: Many of the bands that played CBGB's is music as relevant when CBGB's closed as when it was written in the 70s, 80s, early 90s. And that's wild to think about
0: it's gone maybe forever but they have a store (laughs) (laughs) they have a website so you can actually go and visit if you're a young punk you know young enough to be either of our kids and you want to find out more about this place this magical place that dad always goes on and on about there are a variety of photo galleries on the cbgb.com website and we'll put up a link to the uh, photos including a 360 tour where you can basically look around at the very clean photos that were taken i guess before they really took it all down and and put in the the clothing store that's there now which by the way it shares 0 Uh, involvement in uh, CBGB closing, if we didn't make that clear enough earlier. Yeah. But they close, and then the store, the, the CBGB merchandise store, stayed open for like another few weeks, but they have relocated. Do you know where they have relocated to, my friend, Marcus?
1: I have no idea where they relocated to. Where did they relocate to?
0: Well, they were kind enough to post the address, and so I go there and I look at it, And son of a bitch, it's in the first floor of a building that is right next to the brownstones that were taken as the photo for the cover of physical graffiti from Led Zeppelin. You know the shots I'm talking about on St. Mark's?
2: what?
0: Yes, their store, CBGB's store, is on street level about a half or quarter block down from that facade. Oh my God. There's your what moment for this week, my man.
1: That's one of the many what moments I've had. Thank you very (laughs) much. I mean, holy cow, the history of CBGBs, the importance of CBGBs cannot be stated enough by any podcast, by any article. Go listen to the music. Go onto YouTube and Google live at CBGBs and see what comes up. And watch some of those full length concerts. They will blow you away. You'll see the Bad Brains, the Talking Heads. You'll see the Plasmatics. You'll see. We can't
0: list them all because there's so many, man. It's like hundreds of bands.
1: (laughs) Agnostic Front. Everybody, Living Color, Fishbone, all of them
0: man i feel like i could go on for another hour just talking about those bands breaking it all out how they got there and all the things we could probably learn and maybe that's a cbgb research project we need to work on for the future i want to talk to you about a picture i saw and i'll post it on social media and also a link to this article i thought it was so cool it's a picture from 1975 a show at cbgb's in 1975. television is playing okay and a couple named Dennis Anderson and Lois Collard were there on their first date at a Talking Heads television concert. That's what it was. Lou Reed... No, no, it gets better. Lou Reed is shooting pool. There's a pool table there. He's shooting pool while Talking Heads and television are playing on stage.
2: Pretty. What is...
0: And uh, they're together still. And Anderson said the question was, who do you watch? <laughs> you know, do you watch the band on stage, the band getting ready to go on stage, or Lou Reed shooting pool?" That's CBGB in a nutshell. (laughs) It was their first date, Marcus. They're still together. They're 69
1: now. You watch the bands on stage.
0: And their big claim to fame, other than this date being so famous, the Happy Mondays, a band that appeared at CBGB, right? Mm -hmm. They have a song written for them called Dennis and Lois. I shit you not.
1: That's so wild. The Happy Mondays have a song called
0: Dennis and Lois. Written for the couple who had their first date at CBGB at a Talking Heads concert. Oh, by the way, for whatever they paid, they also saw television. And if you went there, you saw the Ramones. You saw them all. You saw Richard Hell and the Voidoids, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Amazing bands, one after another. In a place that was supposed to be like a country bluegrass blues bar. Yeah. turned into a punk rock bar and a hardcore bar
1: but they also had pop bands like Miami's and bands like that that played and so they weren't really fully punk punk hardcore country bands or not country bands but country punk bands played um, so they had a hell of a mix of bands but you're right like i think like bands like devo probably played cbgb's in the early days we'll have to look that up
0: I think it's a research project into who played there and what was going on, so I would love to see a full list of who played at CBGB's. Research department Outside <laughs> whoop, Research
1: Department whoop. on this one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, maybe you know where we can find that list. Send us a link to gmail.com. That's our email address. Or post it on one of our socials. We always post multiple episode uh, links on uh, our social pages on Facebook, Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, Imbalanced Histo on Twitter, and Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll on Instagram. Uh, A good time spent in a very stanky place. It was fun. I hope you enjoyed it,
1: Charles. (laughs) If you saw any shows in the 70s, 80s, or 90s at CBGBs as well, please hit us on one of our social medias and let us know what shows you went to and what it was like for you. We'd love to hear about your experience.
0: Until the next time that we adventure together, my dear friend Marcus... It's time for us to go live from the Dark Duck Studios here on the internet. Thanks for finding us wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, let us know where that is. You can do that either on your app or through sending us an email. Well, that's going to do it. Signing off. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this is the Imbalance History
1: of Rock and Roll.
0: I love that episode about CBGB, man. It's so much fun to revisit here in Punk Rock Month. Ray Koob with my pal Marcus.
1: I sure wish I could have experienced CBGB in those days, but boy, it sure felt like it listening to this episode today.
0: (laughs) Next up, it's our first original new Punk Rock episode for Punk Rock Month. We're going to the West Coast, Ray. It's
1: all about the band X and their ferocious punk rock brand
0: next week on the imbalance history of rock and roll